Now, the Three Martini Lunch with Greg Columbus and Jim Garrity. And welcome, everyone, to the Wednesday edition of the Three Martini Lunch, along with Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Columbus of Radio America. We have good, good, and crazy martinis for conservatives today. All of it brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Right now, Three Martini Lunch listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. Much more on ZipRecruiter in just a few minutes. And Jim, let's start with good martini number one. We don't usually spend a ton of time on overseas elections, but yesterday was election day in Israel. And let's just say this is good news for the United States, which is generally how we like to evaluate other countries' elections. Benjamin Netanyahu is about to become the longest-serving Israeli prime minister ever. Uh, Let's go to the Times of Israel. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu clinched a clear victory early Wednesday morning in Israel's general elections. With some 97% of votes in Tuesday's contest counted, his Likud party was tied with blue and white, but his right-wing slash ultra-Orthodox bloc held a decisive lead, and Netanyahu was thus safely en route to forming a majority governing coalition. With more than 4 million votes counted as of 9 a.m., Likud had snagged 26.27% of the vote, or 35 seats, in the 120-seat legislature, known as the Knesset, the party's best result since the 2003 election under Ariel Sharon. Likud's main rival in the election, Blue and White, got 25.94% of the vote, which is also 35 seats. But with the coalitions being put together, uh, Likud and its allies will have 65 seats And in a 120-member parliament, uh, that's more than a majority. So, Jim, uh, Bibi Netanyahu is under investigation. He's potentially at risk of being impeached, although I think that's probably unlikely, at least at this point. And uh, the Israeli people said, no, we like where things are going economically. We like where uh, Netanyahu's leading us in terms of security. He's clearly uh, a strong ally of the United States. He and Trump have forged a bond. I don't think that... uh, any U.S. leader and Israeli prime minister have, have forged in our lifetime. What do you make of Benjamin Netanyahu setting history here? Yeah. Now, it's worth noting, I believe he's got to stay in office until summer to reach that threshold uh, of being the longest served prime minister in Israeli history. Having said that, the outlook looks pretty good that he will set that mark. And I kind of feel like this ought to stir, you know, in, in a better world, this would stir some rethinking in the Democratic Party. Look, it's not surprising that uh, the Republican Party and Likud are are more aligned in their thinking. The old Labor Party um, back in the 1990s had hired uh, James Carville and Stanley Greenberg. Uh, There was a closer ties between the Israeli Labor Party and uh, uh, the American Democratic Party. Similarly, that the you know the UK Labor Party is traditionally closer to the Democrats, and the Conservative Party is traditionally closer to Republicans. Although there certainly have been exceptions to that. Um, what, it, what was ringing in my head through much of the coverage last night when I checked in this morning, Greg, was um, the famous skateboarder and bass guitarist, um, who technically also was a congressman named Beta O'Rourke, uh, said, I don't think that Benjamin Netanyahu represents the true will of the Israeli people. Um, and, you know, we can make fun of, of Beta O'Rourke, and, and we should. Uh, but I do think that, first of all, there's a certain amount of arrogance to that. Well, I know what the real will of the American, the Israeli people is. And that guy over there who keeps getting reelected as prime minister, he doesn't really know what they want, you know. Um, that there is a certain arrogance there. But also, like, if, if you let, let's assume that the everyone in the Democratic Party genuinely believes what they believe, that Netanyahu is a bully, that he exacerbates tensions in the Middle East, that he is uh, 
uh, unlawful. Beto O'Rourke called him racist in his policies towards the Palestinians. Uh, you're seeing terms like apartheid state get thrown around more frequently. Jimmy Carter uh, did that years ago. And at that point, it was considered pretty shocking, even in the Democratic Party. I don't think that is as outlandish rhetoric, um, even before Ilhan Omar uh, and Rashid Tlaib were on, this, were on the scene and, and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and this new group of young Democrats who clearly don't see Israel the way that the previous generations of Democrats did. Um, so if you were the Democratic Party, you'd probably, you know, this would be a good time to do a little, okay, we see the Middle East a certain way. We see what's best for Israel a certain way. We see Iran and the Iran deal a certain way. Why do the Israelis see it differently? And for a party that proclaims itself to be multicultural and empathetic and able to understand different viewpoints and nuanced and, and all of that, all of that seems to go out the window when it comes to Israel. And you kind of like to say these, okay, you guys seem utterly convinced that this is the wrong approach, but the Israelis keep picking it. So what's the disconnect there? Why, you know, why don't you try looking at it from Israel's point of view? And I think if you look at things, at certain issues from Israel's point of view, things like the Iran deal look like us gambling with their safety. And they're not on board with that, unsurprisingly. So, it, you know, the, uh, my suspicion, though, is that the Democratic Party will just simply say, okay, they, they see Netanyahu not only differently than the way they see Trump, racist and a bully and, and you know, probably a male chauvinist and corrupt and, and, and all of that. And uh, they won't do any rethinking. I think they'll just simply conclude that, well, a country that re- keeps reelecting uh, uh, Bibi Netanyahu just isn't worth supporting anymore. Um, and that this, you know, the, the you know, support for Israel will become a, an even more partisan issue in the future. And that part is unfortunate. But uh, again, I think it does kind of illustrate that, uh, um, you know, the, the current administration has the right approach when it comes to Israel. It's pretty darn popular in Israel. And, um, you know, they, when it comes to pro-American leaders, you don't find too many that are more enthusiastic about the benefits of an alliance with America uh, than you will find than in Bibi Netanyahu. So, uh, you know, you'll have Bibi Netanyahu to kick around a little bit longer. <laughs> All right, let's move on to our second good martini now. And yesterday up on Capitol Hill, Attorney General Bill Barr was uh, testifying, I believe, before the Judiciary Subcommittee of the House Appropriations Committee, basically him explaining the budget he needs for the coming year. But, of course, most of the questions dealt with the Mueller report. When are we going to see it? What are you leaving out from the public version? Uh, and what you're giving to Congress, et cetera, et cetera. So he explained, Jim, what you've explained here a couple of times in the past few weeks is that he's going through it very carefully. He's going to take out classified information. He's going to take out grand jury information. But the good martini is this, and this is from uh, John Solomon writing over at The Hill. Barr used a question from Congressman Robert Adderholt of Alabama to signal that he wants to go further than Mueller or the IG to determine whether the counterintelligence probe was legit from the start. Quote, the Office of the Inspector General has a pending investigation of the FISA process in the Russia investigation. I expect that will be complete in probably May or June, I am told, Barr explained, giving the first concrete timetable for the IG probe to wrap up. Quote, so hopefully we'll have some answers from Inspector General Horowitz on the issue of the FISA warrants, unquote. Then Barr volunteered his bigger news. Quote, more generally, I am reviewing the conduct of the investigation and trying to get my arms around all the aspects of the counterintelligence investigation that was conducted during the summer of 2016, unquote. He didn't offer much more, although he did say that if there are additional issues to investigate when former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes sends the department a criminal referral, he will expand the probe. So, uh, Jim, uh, warning to those who think this is going to be a smoking gun in the opposite direction to uh, cool your expectations, but uh, the fact that this is being looked at is a good thing. 
It is. And I, so I, you know, as much as uh, the Trump administration fumed and raged about the Mueller investigation, one of the good things about doing a big, long, detailed investigation is that it can clear the air and that false accusations can be dispelled. Now, we haven't seen the Mueller report. Uh, the expectation is that it's going to come out sometime in the earlier middle part of next week. Um, I will not be here, uh, dear listeners, so you're just going to have to imagine my reaction, although I suppose if it's juicy enough, I may jump in and put something in the National Review's corner or something like that. But, you know, this is pretty much on the schedule that William Barr had announced in that initial letter. Um, No one has I've seen has argued that when you've got something close to 400 pages, that this is a ridiculously long amount of time to go through this report. Everyone's, you know, apparently... Mueller had uh, Mueller's team is cooperating in the redaction process. Nothing seems to be, um, you know, out of, out of sync there. And you know, while the Mueller report probably will have some things in it that are unflattering to Trump, uh, it has basically just you know sank the battleship of the argument that Trump is some sort of Russian agent or that there was some sort of you know op- sinister collusion with the Russian government, some deal with Putin, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and Trump is in better shape because of that. So, you know, a big, good investigation can end up clearing someone, uh, at least of some of the most, you know, outlandish charges and things like that. I think I'd like to see the same thing occur for how this investigation began, the decision made at the top of the FBI, decisions made at the top of the counterintelligence community, and whether FISA warrants, things like that, and see if everything was on the up and up. It may very well be that a full review looks at all the, the, all the information that they had, everything that ended up going into the Steele dossier and, and things like that, and, and uh, that Barr and the FBI uh, look at this and say, you know what, every decision that was made was, was, uh, was legit. Everybody was acting in the, under you know, the best of intentions, uh, trying to pursue their duties to protect the country from a national security threat. There was no partisanship, and everything is hunky-dory. Or... <laughs> They may find something uh, not less encouraging. And, you know, Peter Zock and uh, Lisa Page over at the FBI and, and some of the decisions made by Comey and things like that. Maybe it'll, you know, look, I, I, I don't know about you, Greg. I feel better with somebody besides Sean Hannity investigating this. <laughs> right. Look, it's possible. I think at the very least, you read Comey's uh, autobiography. He, he describes at one point when he comes across the second group of emails in um, Anthony Weiner's laptop. And he realizes they were not turned over in the original investigation to Hillary Clinton. And he knows he totally promised Congress that if he came up with any new developments in this investigation, that he would inform them immediately. So he knows he has to tell them. So he brings together the, the senior staff of the FBI. And he says, look, we came across this. We've got to tell Congress. The moment we tell Congress, this is going to leak. Um, I have to do this. I made the promise. I said so under oath. Um, you know, kind of guys get ready for the, the you know what's going to hit the fan and it's going to come our way, but I got to do this because it's the right thing to do. And he doesn't say who, but he says an FBI lawyer. You could speculate this is Lisa Page. We don't know. He doesn't, you know, we don't know who was in the room, but somebody says, do you realize that by doing this, you might make, uh, it, you might make Donald Trump president. And, and he, you know, he says, you know, that's a, that's a, you know, good question. By the way, no, it's not a good question. <laughs> he says, once we start thinking about that, we become a partisan institution. We can't second guess ourselves. We can't hesitate to do what we ordinarily would do because we fear how it's going to affect the election, et cetera, et cetera. That at the very least indicates that there's a big chunk of groupthink at the top level of the FBI that saw Trump's election as a bad thing that should be avoided or perhaps prevented. 
And that is not a reassuring anecdote about the kind of decision-making at the top of the FBI. Now, is this full into the grand conspiracy of the deep state and stuff like that? I don't know. Uh, you know, Different people are going to look at it different ways. To me, it's just more groupthink and everybody thinks the same way, that there's nobody around the table willing to say, uh, <clears throat> you know, it's not our job to, to you know, worry about how this affects the political race. Our, we're not partisans. Our job is to follow the law wherever it goes. Um, so again, it's good that Barr is announcing this. Let's get to the bottom of this. Let's get this all out in the open, hopefully well before the 2020 election, and we can have some real accountability. Uh, and if our law enforcement and intelligence community started to get uh, politicized, started to get act, behave in a, in a partisan manner, uh, then that is something very bad and should be, you know, prevented and, and dealt with, um, you know, pretty severely. Uh, you know, before now and then. It does indicate that there is a rot at the top of the, these institutions. But again, this is why you have these investigations. And uh, I think Barr's, you know, I, I, I sorry, if Barr comes back and says we didn't find anything, that's like Mueller clearing Trump, right? Now, if he comes back and does find something, well, then we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it, Greg. You know, it's going to be fun. It's always my favorite thing is if Jim Comey's back in the public eye, we're going to get one of his declarative sentences that sounds like a question. So, <laughs> Mr. Comey, do you feel that uh, perhaps you rushed into launching an FBI investigation based on a faulty dossier? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> he does kind of the up voice <laughs> that you get from a lot of teenagers. You ever speak to one, Greg, where you say, hi, my name is Karen? <laughs> You want to say, is it? How, why would you think I would know? You should know your own name. But yes. Or alternately, Greg, we're just, I just figured we're going to get a lot of you know, nature scenery photos. <laughs> and those Jack Handy-esque philosophical statements of, the dawn is coming, but there will be darkness ahead. The red dog barks at midnight. That is the password. <laughs> In the end, I'm confident that James Comey will believe he did everything right. Uh, that's pretty, yeah, that's okay, yeah. pretty what much. What are the odds of that? Yeah, what are the odds of that? So, you know, I bet you, hard, I bet you uh, Barr is going to need to hire some investigators. He will. He will. We don't. Thankfully, we don't need to uh, hire a new FBI director or a new attorney general now that uh, those folks are gone. But uh, if he needs to hire more investigators, uh, more talented lawyers, uh, ZipRecruiter, definitely the way to go because hiring is challenging. This administration knows that better than most. But there's one place you can go where hiring is simple, fast, and smart. A place where growing businesses connect to qualified candidates. And that place is ZipRecruiter.com slash martini. ZipRecruiter sends your job to more than 100 of the web's leading job boards. But they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. As applications come in, ZipRecruiter analyzes each one and spotlights the top candidates so you never miss a great match. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of every five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. And right now, three Martini Lunch listeners can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free at this exclusive web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Martini. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash M-A-R-T-I-N-I. ZipRecruiter.com slash Martini. After all, ZipRecruiter is the smartest way to hire. All right, Jim, on to our crazy martini now, and kind of a depressing crazy martini. Today is April 10th, which means that next Monday, this coming Monday, April 15th, is the 
deadline for filing your federal tax returns, uh, unless you get an extension, of course. But uh, many people are grousing. We talked about this before with uh, some of the Democratic candidates alleging this, but they're not alone. A lot of Americans are convinced that their tax bills are actually higher than they were before the Republican-approved uh, tax bill from late 2017. CNBC. Um, no wonder the 2017 Republican tax cut remains so unpopular. The vast majority of Americans don't think they got one at all. As the annual IRS filing deadline of April 15th approaches, just 17% believe their own taxes will go down, the NBC News Wall Street Journal poll found. By contrast, 28% believe they'll pay more, 27% to pay about the same, and 28% don't know enough to say. That helps explain why the tax cut provided so little boost to the GOP as Democrats recaptured control of the House in November's midterm elections. Pew Research polling last month found that the tax cut remains underwater politically with 36% of Americans expressing approval and 49% disapproval. In reality, at least 8 in 10 Americans are actually getting a tax cut. Jim, there's some confusion, of course, because uh, for many folks with the changing and withholding, and the fact that the government's trying to get more precise on how much you actually ought to get taken out of your paycheck, your refunds are less and your take-home is more. So um, by getting smaller refunds, people are a little bit confused. Uh, and as a result, a lot of people, including a lot of Republicans, about a third of Republicans, uh, only think that they're getting smaller tax bills. Yeah, um, this is a depressing and, and perhaps maybe you know could be quite ominous for Republicans as they head into 2020, if most people believe that they either didn't get a tax cut or that the tax cut didn't, you know, it wasn't uh, substantial enough to really change their family finances. What would now? I, there's, there's, as you mentioned, there's two factors here. It was earlier this week. I think it was Matt Iglesias who was uh, saluting progressive messaging for convincing people that they weren't getting a uh, a tax cut. And so I, I suppose, you know, once again, we talked yesterday about Harry Reid and the mentality of uh, the end justifies the means. I'm sure in his mind, hey, you know, it's great news. We, we lied and people believe the lie. Um, but I do think that the, the issue of withholding is a very serious one. Actually, just, you know, we're, we're finishing up our taxes here at Casa de Garrity. Um, and I, I don't have, I got to go back and check compared to next year. But I do know that our refund, is significantly uh, lower. And while we were, you know, we're, we're using TurboTax like everybody else, while we're plugging it in, it's telling us that we owe. And that's, you know, usually not what happens by, you know, by any stretch of the imagination. We plug in all the data, all of our deductions, and things get better. We're back in the right spot. But the deduct, you know, the, the uh, refund is going to be significantly less than last year. Does this mean we're paying higher taxes? No. But if you're used to saying, oh, you know, oh, this is nice, going to file our taxes. And in a, you know, a little bit of time, I'll get a, re a check from the Treasury, here's your refund, you know, and for some people, it's a couple grand, some people, it's 10, you know, it's a significant chunk of change. Now, there's a philosophy that says you really shouldn't do this uh, because you are basically giving the government an interest-free loan for X number of months uh, to ha keep extra money during the year. And then at the, you know, on April 16th, they calculate it, figure out how much you owe. Oh, you paid too much. Here's your, here's your money back that we've been, been holding for you uh, for the last couple of months. I, I understand that. On the other hand, people clearly have gotten conditioned to expect the refund check. And that in their mind is um, how a tax cut gets measured. That, that in their mind is how their tax burden gets measured. Um, so maybe if the Republicans had, you know, uh, could do it all differently, maybe they would have said, hey, you know what? Let's not change the withholding. <laughs> Keep everything the way it is. And then on April 6th, you know, in, in late April, everybody's like, oh my goodness, I got this giant check from the government. Those tax cuts are fantastic. And that might have been... Uh, politically more effective. So it's going to be a little bit thorny here. The other thing also, which I, I think was uh, all up on the hot air was making the observation. 
look, this is the probably the biggest and most consequential domestic political uh, uh, you know, domestic legislation passed by the by the Trump administration and, and Republican Congress. This is a big chunk of the legacy. This is hopefully one of the things that's driving economic growth. But it's, you know, this is the, you know, what are Republicans put on this earth to do? They are there to cut taxes. They are there to minimize how much government takes from you and ends up wasting on some program somewhere. Um, you really should be messaging this. <laughs> you really should be beating the drums for this. You really, not just boasting about it on a tweet every now and then, um, but really periodically making the argument and laying out and using, you know, examples of Americans and showing. Um, you may remember during the tax fight, once it was enacted, um, news organizations were getting these, you know, average American families and, you know, running their numbers through the system and coming to the conclusion, oh, hey, actually, you're, you're going to save about $1,500 on your taxes. And these, these families were delightfully surprised because they just figured they would, you know, they would never benefit from a tax cut, which was they had been hearing was going to all the millionaires and billionaires that, you know, Bernie Sanders is always yelling about. I'm sorry, millionaire Bernie, Sa- Bernie Sanders is always <laughs> yelling right. about. Uh, right. He came out yesterday and said, yes, he is now a millionaire. Um, but he, but his money is okay. Cause he, he sold a lot of books. So that's his, that's right. That's what justifies it. Yes. Um, so if you're a Republican, you know, maybe you're a little frustrated that, you know, Trump has spent so much time screaming about witch hunts and, and, you know, uh, all of that. And you wish you could be a little more focused on, on touting legislative achievements like this. Um, maybe now that the Mueller investigation's concluded, he'll get back to this. I'm, I'm not terribly optimistic about this. Um, but if you're the Republicans, it probably, you know, you probably need to do some more explaining and defending of this tax cut plan uh, because of a, a very understandable factor in the withholding. Americans feel like they're not getting much, even if they are paying less taxes than they did two years ago. I was thinking about this, Jim, because obviously, like you said, you're conditioned to expect a, a refund check of a, a certain size. And now for a lot of people, it's smaller or in some cases, they might actually have to pay a little bit at tax time. And so I'm thinking, well, why don't they notice the bigger paycheck the rest of the year? And then I'm thinking maybe direct deposit uh, is one of the reasons why people aren't seeing how much they're actually saving month to month here. And, and given the financial statistics we see about how well or how not well some people manage their finances or how carefully they track it, uh, that could be why we're, we're not seeing the appreciation on a month to month or every, every couple of weeks basis. But we're seeing the, the sticker shock here come refund time. Yeah, and also let's keep in mind that if you are, uh, there are 52 weeks in a year. Most people get paid in a biweekly uh, period. I know some people get paid monthly. Um, I suppose if it's monthly, you'll see it. If you're seeing it every two weeks, let's say you're, uh, let, let's say you're getting, you know, $5,000 tax cut is actually pretty high. Most people would probably end up getting less than that. Let's say, tw- you know, Twenty five hundred. Uh, that means that most months you're you're uh, you're getting in the neighborhood of two hundred back, which means each pay period you're getting about a hundred bucks back. So maybe you get, notice it, maybe you don't. Depending on the level of your paycheck, you know, a hundred extra bucks might uh, be a noticeable. I mean, it's one of those things that you know, one of the reasons people aren't as outraged about their tax burden as it is is because it's cumulative, right? If you if nobody paid any taxes during the year, and all of a sudden you got this giant five figure tax burden on April sixteenth, you're like, oh my god, you know. Um, and as many Republicans have argued, we should always hold election day. You know, it's election day and tax day are about as far apart on the calendar as they can get. <laughs> That's not accidental, I suspect. You know, uh, you know, Republicans always want to have tax day right after, uh, right before election day, so that you know what you pay in taxes is fresh in your mind as you uh, as you head to the ballot box. Um, you know, again, if you and you take anything and you split it out over twenty six, any amount of money and you split it out over twenty six pay periods. It will feel like less than if it was one giant, you know, one lump payment once a year. So uh, 
you know, some of this is just kind of psychology and that you notice gradual changes or small changes less. Uh, it's not always easy to see cumulative gains. Uh, if it was, everyone would have a really fantastic 401k <laughs> and everyone would go out and get them because, you know, oh, this is a great idea. But because your investments go up very slowly, you're like, ah, you know, they're, 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 barely anything's happening. What's the point of this? I'm not going to put money, my money into a 401k and things like that. So some, in some ways, Republicans are fighting the, you know, the, the, the way the IRS has administered this. In other ways, they're just fighting human psychology. And uh, people tend to like, you know, one big bonanza instead of gradual. It's, it's what people do when they get their, their lottery payments, Greg. Um, <laughs> you know, you're always better off taking it in 30-year payments, but most people want the lump sum right up front, even though it's less. Wow. Well, to end on a positive, encouraging note, at least from a conservative perspective, this whole discussion reminds me of a great phrase that President Reagan used to say. For conservatives, every day is July 4th. And for liberals, every day is April 15th. <laughs> Well put, Greg. Uh, He was a good one. President Reagan. Jim, have a great day. See you tomorrow. See you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity of National Review. I'm Greg Corumbus of Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please don't forget to visit our good friends over at ZipRecruiter, ZipRecruiter.com slash martini to try it for free. And tune in again on Thursday for the next Three Martini Lunch.